Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. I'm going to be your host today, Nick Truman, as you've probably heard on many of the episodes now. I hope you're enjoying autumn, as autumn is now upon us in the Northern Hemisphere. I know we have some listeners out in Australia and South America, so you guys will be coming into summer soon. So uh, all I say is do enjoy it. We're going to have another summer next year. I'm delighted to announce today that we've got a new series kicking off, which is going to be going on for the next four weeks. We're going to have lots and lots of conversations about COVID, about how retail is changing. We're going to outline some bigger opportunities for businesses as well. So not just specific little things you can do on Google Ads or your Shopify store, but actually looking at the bigger, wider scale of things. We've got a special report that has been created by a company called BrightPearl. You may have heard me interview their CEO a few months ago, but BrightPearl have released a report and you can get free early access to this. And it is just available to the listeners of this podcast. And to get hold of that report, you can go to brightpearl.com forward slash winners and losers. And the code you need to use is brightpearl, all one word in capitals. I'm going to keep referencing that throughout the episodes. And I'll keep referencing it as well towards the end of this episode. However, today, we're going to be talking about how shoppers spending habits and buying behavior will likely change over the next 12 months and what this means for you guys. Again, this report has been created and it's being released in the UK and the US. So if you're in either of those territories or outside and want to have a look in and see what's going on, then feel free to go and get that report from brightpearl.com forward slash winners and losers with the code brightpearl, all one word in capitals. Today, however, I've got a very, very special guest. His name's Andrew Busby. Andrew is a world-leading retail analyst, writer, and speaker. He's an expert on retail challenges, consumer trends, and technology disruption. So without further ado, hi, Andrew, and welcome to the show. Hello, Nick. Thanks very much for that. It's good to be here. Great to have you here, too. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation today. And just before we dive in, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your background and about how you came to be on today's podcast? Yeah, so my uh, retail journey started a little over 20 years ago. I was in those days with Kingfisher. Then uh, after a few years there, I spent probably the next uh, 10 or 12 years in various uh, roles, but always uh, working with UK retailers and had some fantastic great times uh, there. And then about three or four years ago, I think it was, I set up Retail Reflections. And yeah, we we write and we speak, or <laughs> we used to speak before all this happened, conferences around the world about retail and retail trends and consumer trends and so forth. But of course, you know, we, we've all moved online now. So we, we virtually speak about retail and uh, it's... It's not quite as enjoyable. The traveling was great. I should have been all over the world uh, this year. But of course, as we know, I'm sure we'll cover everything has changed. Sure. And I, I completely feel your pain. I 
do miss getting on a plane, traveling to other countries, seeing different places. I also have a massive, you've probably got the same, I've got a massive collection of conference badges from places I've spoken all over the world. And it's, it's a shame to not be building that collection a bit more. But equally, the memories are brilliant. And I think we will be back to that at some point one day. I think, yeah, I think you're right. We, we will. Obviously, you know, this isn't going to last forever. It might, as you said in the introduction, we're moving into the autumn now in the Northern Hemisphere and the nights are drawing in and it's getting colder and it's all... A little bit depressing, but you know, at the same time, we got Christmas to look forward to, hopefully, and and this this won't last forever. And I think yes, we will get uh, back out there. But I think that the thing for me is is the the key to it now, and it actually came through when I was listening to uh, the Chancellor speaking yesterday. Is that we seem to be moving into a phase now where we need to live with the COVID nineteen coronavirus and and live without fear of it. It clearly can be quite devastating in some cases, but I think uh, we're, we're slowly moving into that into that phase, if uh, if you like, where we need to learn to live with it. Absolutely, and I think it's almost a realization, isn't it? Like this thing is real, and I think one thing that's been interesting, and this kind of leads me to my first question, really, is a lot of businesses have massively adapted the way they operate. You know, I, I was hearing also yesterday, and and just bearing in mind for any listeners, we are recording this at the end of September, so by the time you listen to it, it'll be mid October, so things might have changed slightly, but. I was actually hearing from an economist on the radio in the UK who was saying that the bounce back has already begun, but it doesn't look like anybody predicted. So businesses are adapting, which, which leads me to my first question for you, Andrew, is how have you seen things change in the retail world since obviously lockdowns and COVID came around? How have they changed massively? I mean, for me, you know, if we look back to what well, January this year, when none of us had even heard of COVID probably, and around about that time, myself, uh, like a lot of other retail commentators and so forth, were being asked for our predictions, not just for this year, but for the decade, because obviously we started a new in 2020, we started a new decade. And we're always being asked for what we think are going to be the trends and, and so forth. And of course, none of us predicted, well, we're all going to be working from home and city centres are going to be empty. And what I like to call the the Pret effect, because I think that probably encapsulates it uh, quite well. So for me, the, the the main thing that that I've seen changing in in retail is that all these those trends and actually some new ones, but all those trends that we've been predicting were going to take the best part of this decade, instead of taking years and years, that are taking months, if not weeks. So the most obvious one, I guess, is the increase in online. You know, the, the fascinating thing for me there is how much of that new behavior, and again, as you say, whilst at the time of recording this, we've got certain parts of uh, the country in lockdown again. And of course, that means that people are going back to shopping online. And as I say, the fascinating thing will be how much of that new behavior will become embedded Psychologists say that it takes 66 days for new behavior to become embedded. Well, we've had a lot more than 66 days for some of these. So I think for, I think for retailers, part of the, the trick now, the, the, the real challenge is to try to work out what of these changes, what of this new behavior is going to remain embedded and what is more ephemeral and will gradually dissipate as we we get through this pandemic if for those who can fairly accurately predict that then i think they're going to be in a very strong position 
And, and I think that that's one of the, the, the real challenges which uh, is facing retailers at the moment. Definitely. And I think just, just going back on something you said and referencing the report, actually, is when, you know, when, when I got the sort of uh, final draft copy through that, that you and I have looked at, I instantly glanced at it and I sort of rolled my eyes slightly on the first one. Yeah, of course, you know, online shopping's increased. We all know that. But then when I started to dig in and actually see in what areas... I was slightly surprised to find that, you know, I won't give the numbers, go and, please go and download, get downloaded the report to go and see these. But electronics was one that really stood out to me, that actually electronics has gone down as a priority as far as consumers are concerned, which shocked me slightly because I would have thought in the retail space right now, more people are buying technology because you're at home, you want to buy, you know, I personally have bought a new TV and a soundbar since, uh, since lockdown, well, looking at a new TV and I've got the soundbar, I've bought some DVD collections, like, you know, what, what were your thoughts then, Andrew, on, on some of the different trends and how people are actually prioritising different things compared to before the virus was a thing? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. If we look back to end of March, April, and of course, if you remember that we, we had an incredibly good spring in terms of the weather. And so people were going out and buying trampolines and barbecues and bread making machines and, 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 and these sorts of things. But the common theme through all of it is that people are, are, are now buying things what i describe as a very inward looking theme if you like so all those things are to improve their home life because of course you know we're at home for so much more now even though you know for parts of the country now in in temporary lockdown but for for the other parts that, that aren't we're still spending a lot more time at home because we could well be working from home or we're furloughed or, or what have you so the theme for me seems to be that that they're, they're very much about improving our our lockdown lives if you like and again it's of course is interesting that those areas that, that that have suffered you know as we know we're not going out i mean i i can't actually well i'm, I'm currently although you can't see obviously because this is a podcast but I'm, I'm wearing a work shirt because i had um, a call with a client earlier this morning now this is the first time i think i've worn um, at home a a work shirt if you like Probably since March or April time, you know, it's just for those odd calls and, and, and so forth. But if it's with colleagues and so forth, then, you know, so in other words, you know, we're not going out and we're not buying a new suit because we just don't need it. Although, interestingly, again, looking at the, the report, I think uh, you'll find that shoes have been high on the priority list. But again, I think that is because we like to in some way reward ourselves. And I think that's that's very important for our mental well-being if you like because let's face it if somebody had said to you back in march well this is going to be your new reality for the next year minimum that would have had a devastating effect if we'd you know realized that we're looking ahead you know 12 months we're going to go through four seasons before we were going to come out the other side of, of this so i think that people are Perhaps unconsciously, if you like, looking after you know their own well-being in uh, in various ways. Sure, and I think it's a it's a really interesting point as well that you make about lots of people would have said, "Oh, I wish I was selling garden furniture right now, or you know anything that goes in the home, essentially." But actually, the reality is when you look at the numbers, you, you know the, the total amount of people shopping online has decreased, and I think well, sorry, not not specifically online, but people just spending money overall has decreased as you would expect. So what can retailers do to actually counter that? Like, you know, is there anything specific you would recommend or is there an approach they can take to work out a, 
How do they get more market share to keep their you know total revenues of the business the same? Or do you recommend actually the you know the high street needs a bit of a revamp, or do you think it should close? Or appreciate a lot of big questions there, but yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on what retailers can do to tackle this. Yes, I will. I'll give some practical advice. I I call it the five E's, and and I'll go through them because I think it's very important. Probably for now, leave the high street because uh, that could be the subject of a whole new podcast, and uh, and certainly got a lot of thoughts uh, thoughts about uh, about that. But yeah, the, the sort of thing and the practical things that retailers of all sizes, really, from small independent retailers right up to the large supermarkets or or DIY or or what have you. And the first of the five E's, I would say, and probably one of the most important, is engage. Engage with your audience. Engage with the customers. Now, I haven't got the the figures um, uh, to hand, but certainly that there's clear evidence that a large majority of retailers, both particularly independent, when we were in full national lockdown earlier this year, they just stopped engaging with their customers. So, and and I'm not quite sure what the thought process was, but but what they need to be doing is engaging, you know, if their door is shut, that doesn't mean to say that their business has closed down. You know, you you mentioned online, but people need to use social media in in particular. And, And those that did do that, have done very well. So, you know, I'll call out Primark. Classic example, as we know, they've got no online presence, but they still kept engaging with their customers during that, that lockdown. So number one, I say engage. Second thing would be embrace. And what I mean by that is embrace change and uncertainty. Now, before all this happened earlier this year, we were already facing change and uncertainty at unprecedented levels. Well, of course, now that's just been turbocharged. And so this is a fact of life and people just need to get used to it and, and live with it. So and, and that pace of change is just so rapid now that you know, don't be afraid of failure. Try new things. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, doesn't matter. People aren't going to yeah, they're not going to censor you for it. They're they're probably going to do quite the opposite and say, well, at least you you know you're trying. Third thing I'd say would be to excite and excite and inspire your customers. That was always something, and I've written about this uh, quite a, a number of times. And in particular, yes, it applies to online, but in particular to to physical. And just on that, yes, as we see online increase, and some people I've spoken to think that that will eventually plateau at uh, anything up to 50% of total sales. Now, whether it gets to that, we, we'll wait and see. But online can't replace physical retail. Um, and and where we've got more restrictions on physical, that actually means even more than ever that um, retailers need to excite, they need to inspire, they need to try new things, they need to try new layouts, new, you know, engaging and uh, exciting their, their customers. And kind of going on from that, the last two, enthuse, enthuse about what you have to offer. A local retailer, it's uh, an independent outfitter, fashion outfitter to, to where I am in Sussex. Great store, fantastic store. And I, as I've done to a number, of, speaking to a number of um, independent retailers, I've said, you know, have a look at live streaming, which is something which we're seeing more and more of. So, Live streaming, use you know your just use your smartphone and video yourself walking around your store and telling people about your new stock, your new products, et cetera, et cetera. How COVID cure it is and that sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, all those sorts of things. And 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 obviously I won't name them, but but they I don't think they quite got it because they came back and said, well, sorry, but store tours aren't available at the moment. And you know, so in other words, just just think about your store and how 
you know, what your shop window is. And, it, and it's probably slightly different to what you actually thought it was, but above all, enthuse about, about what you're selling. And finally, um, be energetic, energize about everything around you and, and see everything as an opportunity. I think, you know, it would be so easy just to fall victim to this and think that, you know, the world has stopped spinning and, you know, and and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not denying for one minute that it is extremely tough and and good businesses are sadly going out of business. But if you don't do any of these things, then that's clearly a, a very quick way to, um, to a sad end. So I think, you know, try to see everything as an opportunity. Think about things in a slightly different way. Think about your customer. Think about where they are, how they want to engage with you which might not be walking into your store anymore because they're fearful. So in, if that's the case, then think about how you can reach them in, in different ways. And you know that's typically going to be digitally. So think about that. And if you're not that digitally savvy, well, you could well have an 18, 19-year-old or you know somebody who has who it's second nature to them and they can probably help you. So yeah, there, hopefully there's some some practical advice there on just you know how to reposition businesses in the the new normal as we all like to call it that uh, we're having all having to face thank you so much for that list and i love the fact they all begin with e but i also love the fact that actually some of them are specific to what's going on at the moment but some of them aren't some of them are as we were saying actually before we we hit the record button for for this episode a lot of businesses have been forced to do things they probably should have done anyway just before we jumped on this, I was talking to a company who they did 40 exhibitions and trade shows across the world every year. 98% of their business happened there. None of those exhibitions are happening right now. So where they were going to build a new website in sort of 2022, they're now starting it today. And they everything is accelerated. The budget's actually been increased for it. So the money they would have spent on those exhibitions has moved. But how much have you seen that sort of thing happen then, Andrew, in terms of they were going to do something anyway? But actually, this has accelerated that timescale. I think, yeah, I think what it's done is really focused people's minds on what the imperatives are. You see that right across the industry and and people are realising that before this even started, there was an awful lot of uh, debate and discussion. I mean, uh, I, like yourself, I, I used to attend an awful lot of retail conferences and spoke at a lot of retail conferences. And a, a lot of the discussion and the conversation was around the the old ways of working are just not were not fit for purpose for 2020, and that's even before uh, all this uh, began. And I think that that has really crystallised that even more. So, you know, think of some of the metrics, the the key performance indicators uh, that uh, retailers have used for decades. The one that always springs to my mind is sales per square foot. Well, sales per square foot in this world is completely meaningless. And, you know, I saw the, the other week, and I'm not going to say, yeah, here, if I think they're, they're, they're necessarily right or wrong, but I just found it interesting that John Lewis, as a, as a good example of a, of a brand that we all, you know, I think have a lot of affection for and a lot of trust in, but they see that they're forecasting that I think 60% by the end of this year of, of all their sales will be online. So they're closing stores. Well, you know, all I say to that is really, really, really have a look at your and try to understand your sales attribution. Because again, before we, we went live here, I think you were telling me, Nick, that you're looking at uh, a new TV and got a new soundbar. Well, 
your customer journey to get to that point of purchase could have started anywhere and it could end anywhere. In other words, it could very well end in the store and you physically carrying that TV out of the store, or it could end online. But either one of those, what influence does the online experience have versus the in-store experience? And I would always suggest that a lot of those times we're, we're starting that journey online to do our research, but then actually we want to go and feel and touch and look and, and so on and so forth at what we're planning on buying, particularly if it's a big ticket item like a, a TV, which obviously can range from 500 upwards to whatever. So, yeah, the, the, the experience, if, if you like, of online versus in-store is quite an interesting one. And all I'd say is if people are looking at, well, everything's going online, so I don't need a store. Well, have another look at it. Think, think through just what your store does for your brand. Yeah, I think it's a very valid point with the online world because some businesses are doing it quite well. And I this is going to be the third time since June I've referenced these guys because I think they've they've the design of the site's not amazing, but I think that's a good thing. And they've absolutely nailed the way that they sell their products. And it's glasses direct. So I wear glasses and I've bought not the pair I'm wearing today, but I have bought several pairs from in the past. However, I have just sent back a home trial kit where I put my card information in and they said, we'll only charge you if you don't send them back. And I had four pairs of glasses sent to my house with just, you know, sort of standard glass in them. It wasn't um, prescription or anything. And I could just try them on and see how they felt. And one of them was almost right, but not quite. So I've now got a second home trial kit on its way to me. I can also use their virtual try-on on the site. And I think they've nailed it in terms of the experience. However, going back to what you were just saying, Andrew, I think a TV, I want to stand, especially if I'm spending more than three or four hundred pounds or, you know, 500 plus, as you say, I want to stand in front of it and see what the screen's going to look like. You know, for example, where, where I sit on my TV in my lounge, I'm sitting right in front of a window. So if my TV is an anti-reflection, I will see that window. So what I did when I was, um, again, I haven't quite bought it yet, but when I was looking at TVs, I did go into John Lewis and I stood in front of the TV in John Lewis with my phone up to see if the screen was reflective. And the sales chap saw me doing it. Sir, are you looking for a TV that has a non-reflective screen? I said, yeah, but they all seem a bit expensive. And he said, well, I think I've got just the thing for you. And he walked me over to this, from a two meter distance, wearing a mask, both of us, walked me over to the other TV that was about £700, which was a lot cheaper than the ones I had looked at. And he said, look, this has got all the smart TV stuff. You strike me as somebody basically your age. You're going to want Netflix. This is the one for you. And I just thought, I couldn't get that from a website or to get that information online how much digging around and Googling and typing in different keywords, reviews, comparisons, anti-glare, watching YouTube videos. And an expert standing next to me nailed it in seconds just by glancing at me, holding my phone, going, clearly wants an anti-reflective TV. And I know just the thing for him. And, and let's be honest, artificial intelligence wouldn't have done what he did. No, not at all. And even if he was sitting at the other end of a live chat on John Lewis's website or something, not the same experience. He walked in, oh, afternoon, sir. Can I just ask, are you looking for this? Whereas live chat, how can we help? You know, it's, it's very, I do, I do think live chat is great. And I do really think businesses should use it. it. It's part of a bigger, wider UX, don't have too many pop-ups, et cetera. But again, just having that user experience, and I think trying on clothes, that sort of thing, it is, unless you know your exact size of that brand, which you've probably found out from going in store in the first place anyway, it's going to be really difficult to get something that is perfect for you. 
You know, there's only so much I think the online world can do in specific industries. I think if you're buying some rechargeable batteries, which is something that's uh, just been dropped on my desk while, since we've hit record, something like that, you know, it's, it's quite easy. I know exactly what I want. It's a, you know, it's a fixed product. It works perfectly with the charger. But uh, as you say, the higher ticket items, I do think, I do think the physical world, as soon as it's available or people are comfortable, and actually John Lewis is a brand, I, without even checking, I, I, fe- I felt comfortable that to go into their store. I knew they would have had it nailed because they've always got good customer experience and that's their USP. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I agree. You know, there's, there's more personal items, whether it is clothing or whether it's a TV or, or whatever. It, yeah, you, you need to be able to, or most people, you know, think of a new mattress. Okay, yes, you can do that online and, and, and you go by the reviews and the spec and description, but really it's probably one of those things that, that you need to physically try. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, it is, you know, there's this thing of uh, horses for courses and, and, you know, as we know, you know, they're not channels anymore. And I think that's one thing that, um, again, with, this is probably, this is probably shown that, that, you know, we need to think and, and those retailers who still think of uh, physical and digital online as two distinct channels uh, are going to be left behind. They're, they're complementary to one another. And as we know, customers consumers don't think in terms of channels they they think in terms of brand and product and i think that's that's one of the things that is still for for some retailers they need to fully understand sure i think it's a very valid point and kind of taking a step back again into that you know the kind of bigger wider user experience customer experience what happens to the customer that would affect their decision or their trust etc delivery for online is a massive part of that and i think Certainly this report that Brightpool have released, it has some slightly striking statistics. I would have assumed there would have been a bit more of a demand on delivery, but I certainly wouldn't have expected as many people as they did in, in the survey they did in, in the UK and US to say actually delivery took longer or was more complicated. I mean, do, you know, do you think that retailers need to do some, something different to start managing that? Do you think that the post kind of you know, cart process on a website... How important is that to the journey? Absolutely critical to it. And we know that particularly the younger generation, that they just won't engage with a retailer or a brand uh, unless delivery and return you know, terms are, are to their expectation. And so I think, yeah, retailers, they need to think beyond the buy button. You know, they need to think about the whole journey. And, and I think part of it is what we're seeing is that this is all showing up those businesses that haven't really got the right level of visibility on their inventory. So to call one retailer out, Argos, the work they did that started about six years ago to digitize the business and to build the hub and spoke that they've now got means that they can offer same day click and collect because they know where all their inventory is at any given time. Well, that doesn't go for for every retailer, but delivery is it, it's all part of the experience, isn't it? You know, we we don't you know the old thing about having it thrown over the garden fence. Well, sadly, that still happens, and none of us want to want to see that. But delivery, really, I, I've I felt long before this pandemic, I felt that uh, delivery, final mile fulfilment, call it what you like, is going to define retailers and brands because you know they can't differentiate necessarily through price and and product but what they can differentiate through is delivery 
not just in timescales, but to wherever you want that delivered to. The development of that is quite interesting at the moment because, of course, we're, we're not traveling the same distances. We're not commuting like we used to. But if we go back, rewind before this, then I would have said that, you know, train station hubs for click and collect and, and, and lockers and so on and so forth, the transport hubs was absolutely the way. And also that retailers should have the ability to deliver to pretty much wherever we are. Now, to an extent, that that has accelerated, but it's largely delivering to our homes because that's where we are currently. Now, that's not going to remain the case um, forever. Are we going to see drones flying around? Probably this pandemic has killed that for the time being. Are we going to see automated cart robots delivering to neighbourhoods? Maybe. But I think, again, uh, and some have been trialled for some time in places like Milton Keynes. But again, it, it, that, you know, that whole industry now, it, it's, it's really being focused on delivery within certain timescales and, and the returns process. And, and we're, we're even seeing now, aren't we, when, when certain parts of the country are going back into um, lockdown, as I mentioned earlier, the, well, we're seeing, sadly, you know, panic buying starting to happen. But, but also we're seeing the incidence of online grocery delivery and the demand for that to go up. And I was just reading something earlier before we came on this podcast today that supermarkets are struggling to meet the, the sudden new second wave, if you like, of, of demand for online grocery. And that's something that they will sort out. They will address that. But you know, you kind of feel that they've had a number of months to, to be able to do that. And you know, I think it was always on the cards that we would have a second wave. Therefore, we would go back to some of that old behavior. But it just shows what, what how quickly consumer behavior can change. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, just to, I won't I won't name the government specifically, but there were other organizations that didn't prepare for a second wave quite as we expected they would, or as they told us they would. But I think, you know, some very, very valid points there, certainly about the the fact that, you know, transport hubs, things like that. I've been amazed over the years to see train stations, for example. I, I travel on the train in the UK a lot. I love the railways, you know, and I think it's a great way to travel for work because you can travel at 125, 150 miles an hour in the UK on your laptop with a nice cup of tea. What is not to like? You know, and if you're on your own, it costs the same as driving. But you're not tired. You can go and use the loo whenever you want. It's so much more convenient. But you get to the train station. There's cafes. There's maybe a couple of retail shops now. You're probably only a stone's throw from some lovely restaurants, a gym. Like, you know, there are all these hubs. However, COVID's changed a lot of that. We were hearing again and again and again in the UK on the news. And it'd be interesting to see if this is the same in the US, actually. But hearing that London is just empty. There are not commuters buying their lunch, you know, sorry, not commuters, but office workers and people in the main city of London buying their lunch at cafes. And actually what's happening is people are going to their local high streets. Now, what knock-on effect do you think that is going to have on both the online retail world and those shops in the high street itself? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right to, to, to point that out. So you know, in the city centres, yeah, there's hardly any activity. And you know, I, I fear for all the hospitality and the, and the retailers which relied on you know office workers traveling in every day but yeah the, the the positive side to that if you like the good side of that is that um, some of that spend is uh, reverting to local high streets which i think um, is a good thing but we do need to preserve our our city centers you know who nobody certainly not you know i wasn't and i don't think anybody was predicting that we'd, we'd all be working from home 
for this length of time. And also that probably commuting on a daily basis is now a thing of the past. We're never, ever going to return to that. So what I do think is, which will have quite an impact on local high streets, what I think that we're going to see is uh, something that I refer to as smart working. So in other words, I think that when this all kind of balances out and so forth, we're going to see a mix of working from home, working from a local hub on the high street. So I think that we're going to see those start to spring up in in town centres so that somebody can go. And it's very much a working environment. And we know that that concept uh, has been around in city centres for quite some time. I think that's go. I think that will scale be scaled down to much smaller hubs, which uh, are suitable to take over from empty premises on the high streets, which I think is quite exciting. Yeah, I'm fortunate. Uh, I've got my own office at, at home, and so I can shut myself away, and I don't have any distractions, and so on and so forth. And also, I don't have a dog, so I don't have or small children, so I don't have the you know, the risk of those um, interrupting recordings like this. There are a lot of people who are not in that position and being able to escape the four walls of, of their home to be able to work, but not commute, I think will be very important. So I think we're going to see working from home, we're going to see working locally. And I think we will see working in the office where you do physically get together with the rest of your team, because I think that's incredibly important. I saw earlier this week, uh, Lord Wolfson of uh, Next saying that, for some of his uh, teams, you, you see if they're not together, you don't get that spark of inspiration and those ideas um, and so forth. But he said also for those of his team that are working from home, they're far less stressed out because they don't have the commute. They're probably more productive because let's face it, when you're working from home, you don't shut the laptop down at five o'clock or 5.30 or whatever that time it happens to be. You know, most of us will probably carry on working long after we should have stopped. So I think that what we're going to see is a mix. Now, if, if that all comes to pass, then I hope that we can preserve our city centres, although I think that they will probably become seen as more cultural and arts centres. We know they've always been that, but I think the, the focus will be more on, on that. And I hope that it, it um, has a, a positive effect on our local high streets. Definitely. I think some very valid points there. And the other thing that I read the other day that was, that was predicted is that actually people will then start meeting, certainly in the UK, London is the kind of real hub of business. And, you know, then, then it's kind of Birmingham, Manchester, there's other cities. But actually, they're going to start building infrastructure between the other cities a bit more. So actually, you could you know, you could get on a high-speed train that doesn't have to go through London, which at the moment is very few and far between. But then also, I, something I've been talking about for years, and when people ask, you know, are you based in London? Do you work in London? I always say, no, no, we're all based near where we live, in the Surrey Hills, in the countryside, and we like it here. We've got easy access to London. But for years, I've been saying, I just want to see those London offices disperse into smaller offices around the country. Sort of, as you say, people wanting to escape the working at home. So they're not at home anymore, but they're only a few miles from their front door, which actually gives you, in my opinion, you know, to, to quote Hovis, the best of both worlds. You know, the sort of, you've got the, the buzzing environment of the office, you've got your team together, you can build a company culture, everybody knows each other really, really well, people are aligned, people overhear others on calls with clients, so they know what is going on in that particular project, or whatever. But equally, you're not spending 
you know, we have a policy in our business of we don't want people commuting over 30, 35 minutes a day because I don't want I, I, I don't want somebody working for me who's got that going on. I, I'd rather they came in fresh. They're near to their house. If they need to drop home at lunchtime, they absolutely can. But equally, they're working in a professional environment. And everybody's got different views on where it's going to go. So it's really interesting just hearing your thoughts and where you think uh, where you think things are going to head in that sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, listen, it, you know, for, I think for most, if not all of us, the thought of getting onto um, a tube train rush hour in London, <laughs> uh, and, and we all know what that, or most of us know what that experience is like. In summer with no air conditioning and, yeah. Having your head, yeah, inside somebody else's armpit and all the rest of it. and squ- That is just appalling. And equally, somebody was saying to me on a, on a call the other day, can you, can you imagine now, you know, as of yesterday, of course, in all hospitality, in restaurants and pubs, it, it has to be table service. And again, I just wonder whether that will become a thing. And, and the, again, we've, most of us have done it where you're, you're queuing and you're crowded at the bar and somebody's pushing through with pints in their hand and some of it spills over you and you're wet. And, you know, I mean, that whole experience was never good. And now through all of this, we're being shown that actually that there's a different and possibly better way to do things. Sure. And I think just we've obviously on a bit of a tangent miles away from where Shopify is and where we normally talk about, you know, sort of like how to get to number one on SEO and that sort of thing. So just I just want to round off for a second, just a few of the things we're talking about and actually what I think it means for a lot of our listeners and the kind of people that reach out to me on email after listening to this. What I'm thinking in my head is there's loads of opportunities at the moment for new products new ways of positioning your offering online, new ways of managing your teams within the business. And actually, a lot of people listening to this, and hopefully 100% of people listening to this are, you know, involved in e-commerce in some capacity and are looking to increase and grow their business or they work for a business. They would love to see grow and flourish and deliver those killer reports going, my department's doing this. And I think I think certainly take, you know, if, you, if you've not written any notes, go back and listen to some of the things we've been talking about and work out what does that mean for my business? What can we do to adapt today that means tomorrow will be ready? I definitely recommend listening to the Bright Pearl episode I did with the CEO, Derek. And the reason I say that is because Derek was talking about how to scale and the reason that businesses don't scale. So the day you've actually nailed your online marketing, your SEO, your PPC, your email, your repeat orders, your product's so good that as soon as somebody tries it on, they want another one. Once you've nailed all of that, the next thing is, well, we just don't have the technology to do it and we don't know where we're going, which again is why part, part of the reason we partner with Bright Pearl and they're sponsoring this series is because actually all the things we've been talking about, I, I believe are opportunities. I heard a great quote from an entrepreneur a, a few years ago. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he, he said uncertainty is the thing that creates opportunity for most businesses. So there are two ways to respond to this. One is shut down, quit, give up, which is absolutely not what you should be doing. It's, it's, this is very much about adapting. You know, and the five E's that, that you shared as well, Andrew, I think are really, really key to this. And so on the ground as a Shopify store, I would recommend looking at how are we acquiring customers right now? What kinds of customers are we acquiring? Are we acquiring them now because the shops are shut? And if so, how are we going to keep those customers long term? And then also thinking about who are our existing customers and are we really, really looking after them? Because I think the online world is getting more and more fierce. Anybody can click a button and pay $29 and they now have a Shopify store. And guess what? You've just got 20 new competitors. So you've got to be more competitive than ever. And that doesn't mean you need to be aggressive or race to the bottom on price. 
It just means you need to really, really think about the core of your business and decide what your USPs are, what you stand for, and why somebody should buy. And I think once you can nail that stuff, taking on board everything Andrew said today about, about the specifics of where we think COVID's going, what we think is going to change in the future, and work out what that could mean as an opportunity for your business. So if people aren't working in the office in the city anymore, well, actually, could your product support them in working at home? or actually in their 10-minute drive or walk to the office instead of their one-hour train trip on a horrible, smelly tube in London and that sort of thing. So, yeah, again, I think just just wanted to round it off slightly because I pre- appreciate I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation, Andrew. But also, I think, again, for some of our listeners, they'll be sitting there going, okay, there's so much there. I get where it's going. What do I need to do differently? And my, my, my final question really for you, Andrew, is, is, is on that note, where do you think this is going? Like, if we had a vaccine tomorrow, A, do you think we're going to have one? B, if we do or don't, what happens next? What, what, do, you, what do you predict? It doesn't have to be a, you know, we're not going to hold you to this, but where do you see things going? Are there any definites we can pull out of this now to go, this is going to be different? So here is how online businesses should respond. Well, I think in terms of the whole kind of macro situation that we find our, ourselves in, it was, it was very interesting listening to the Chancellor yesterday, and I know this will be going out in, in October, so this is towards the end of September, announcing the new post-furlough measures. He, uh, I can't remember it word for word, but basically what he said was that we need to learn to live with this and not be in fear of it. So living with it means that premises would need to be safer and more secure, but our behaviour online, the, the, the whole experience, right from when we first start browsing right through not just when we hit the buy button, but through to delivery needs to be all those usual things that we're we're told, easy, secure, yes, but it needs to be convenient, seamless, all these sorts of things. And I think that people's people's expectations uh, are just going to increase exponentially as they shop online more and more. So I think that a bit like with physical retail, what I say to retailers is that you really need to physically walk the customer journey, not just within your store, but probably from the local bus station or train station or car park so that you you can walk in their shoes and understand what it's like for them. Do the same thing online. Do it with your own website right through to purchasing something and just see you know if it really is as easy as you hoped or you think and, and what is it offering to the consumer because i think one of the things that the bright pearl report does is you know it does a great job of outlining how shoppers are reprioritizing their spend and their spend by by sector so there's some great insights there into you know what what shoppers are doing how they're shopping and and where their new priorities are absolutely and i'm, I'm delighted to say that that's a well phrased but not new on the podcast it is something we're always talking about and in a good way there's so many different ways of doing it different dimensions but certainly understanding customer is probably the most fundamental thing i I make the point a lot and i'm sure you're making similar points to this andrew that if you don't get out of bed to serve your customer you need to challenge why you do get out of bed in the morning to, to run your business or to work where you do because i think it's so fundamental i think businesses look too internally and go oh no, our delivery company, they only offered 10-day deliveries. So that's what we're going to do. We can't do it any other way because of whatever reason. It's like, well, no, you, you need to get in your customer's shoes and go, we're probably losing 20, 30, 40, 60, 70, 80% of our customers because they don't want to wait 10 working days for a product. So actually, 
that and, and in a sense as soon as you highlight that sort of thing and take that kind of approach you're not really moving heaven and earth after all are you it's it's actually just making a couple of phone calls and and it's fixed and and what i'll just add to to that is don't fall into the trap of saying to your customers in effect that the the levels of service you're you're offering have in any way been compromised because of covid now i've come across that quite a number of times this week by a large credit card company who obviously will remain nameless but basically their level of customer service was was appalling and it, it was because of the pandemic because of covid-19 you know etc cetera, etc cetera. well please don't fall into that trap i hadn't thought of that at all that's such a valid point i I actually tried to get hold of Google Ads support a couple of days ago to sort out a, an issue that was out of our control for one of our customers um, at my business. And yeah, I, they said like, you know, we're working on reduced hours. And I just took that as, oh yeah, fine. You know, I, I get that. We're all working hard. We're doing what we can. But now you've mentioned, actually, they didn't need to say that. They could have actually completely rephrased that as a, almost like a marketing campaign. You know, we're inundated with great feedback and our team is so busy because we just love talking to you. Please hold the line for a moment rather than, as you say, an excuse, you know, kind of, We've been hit by, and actually Google have not been hit by COVID is what I can what I can announce. And they've made no secret about that. More people are spending online. They've just knocked the digital services tax over. So it's another however many billion to, to Google's pocket in the UK. Like, yeah, I think it's, it's a very valid point. And I'm glad you said it because I've never actually thought about it in that way. It's a brilliant point. Yeah, it, it's a bit like, I mean, I'm in an area in, in, in Sussex where one of these pop-up cycle lanes has appeared. And and there are big signs up saying COVID-19 pop-up cycle lane ahead. What on earth has COVID-19 got to do with a cycle lane? Now, I know it was announced on one of the daily briefings months ago. So it was announced within the context of that. But it's got nothing to do with that whatsoever. And again, for me, you know, these compromised levels of service because of the pandemic Sorry, that doesn't wash. I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm going to start quoting that for now. And I'll mention your name when I do quote it. I think it's a, it's a, it's a very valid point. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if anyone hasn't cottoned on yet, we're quite local. So I'm sure as soon as we're allowed and both free, I think we will definitely get a coffee, you know, and, and sort of catch up properly. But um, thank you so much for coming on. If people want to get in touch, what's the best way to get hold of you or, or engage with some of the things you're involved in? Probably the best way is I'm on all the a good social media channel near you. So if it's uh, Twitter, it's at Andrew Busby or my email is Andrew at retail hyphen reflections co.uk brilliant well thank you so much for joining andrew as you've probably guessed we've had um we've had bright pearl sponsoring this podcast and the next three episodes we've got a couple of shopify stores coming on next to talk about both this report and how the pandemic's affected them what they're going to be doing as a result of the pandemic and how they're working with bright pearl and various other partners to try and tackle this and their internal teams so please do stay tuned there's gonna be some great learnings great information on there Please go and support the show by following us on Facebook, which is the Winning with Shopify Facebook group. As mentioned over the last few months, I'm paying a little bit more attention to it than I ever have. So I have been responding to comments and things on there. So please do plug in, ask anything you want or throw some things on there you'd like us to cover on the podcast. And remember to get hold of that report, you can go to brightpearl.com forward slash winners and losers. And the code you need to use is brightpearl, all one word in capitals. Finally, please listen to this little message from Bright Pearl about this report. And again, anyone listening to this podcast episode can get hold of that report for free. It's exclusively available to our listeners and nobody else at the moment. So thanks for listening and we'll be back again next week. Is your ERP platform able to handle bursts of growth and the diverse needs of cross-channel experiences? Probably not. 
because it's not built for retail. Bright Pearl is 100% built for retail, so you'll know that you're in good hands. Find out why more than 1,000 e-commerce merchants use Bright Pearl's automated digital operations platform to scale efficiently, delight customers, and to make smarter decisions. In an uncertain world, it's time to future-proof and streamline your business. Do so today at brightpearl.com. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.